Got time for a quick story. Dennis DeYoung, I would say, is one of the more interesting figures in pop and rock music. The songs he's written, his performances, good luck finding anyone you can even say is is in his genre uh, who's similar at all. He, he, is, he is who he is. You want people who are unique, and Dennis DeYoung is unique. In his career with Styx, in his solo career, he has a very vivid style. But yet there are multiple styles that Dennis DeYoung has presented over time. And I've had the chance to interview Dennis DeYoung a couple times. In 2017, he came up to my neck of the woods, western Wisconsin, to perform at the Northern Wisconsin State Fair, part of Dennis DeYoung and the Music of Sticks, that tour. And then in 2020, he released he released a solo album. 26 East Volume 1 is the name of that album. So in this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story, I'm going to play back both interviews I did with Dennis DeYoung. First, the interview from June of 2017, where we talked about the tour, the performance of Dennis DeYoung in the music of Sticks. Also talked about the then 40th anniversary performance of The Grand Illusion, the classic Sticks album. Even got a little bit into Desert Moon, his uh, solo hit from 1984, the video for that song. And we talked about new songs he was writing with Jim Peterick, who has been a member of Survivor, uh, in the Ides of March, top-notch songwriter for some some big, big classic legendary hits, which ultimately led to 26 East Volume 1 three years later. So here's that first interview from June of 2017 with Dennis DeYoung. Well, we're going to see you coming up here in the area coming up July 14th. First question, I always like to ask this of anyone who is coming to our area. Have you been up here to the Chippewa Valley before? You know, I've been everywhere uh, um, at least five times, and it's overrated. <laughs> everywhere is overrated. I've been there, and it's overrated. Now, you... I've been up to Chippewa Falls. You know, the last time Chippewa Falls, a few people were injured. Really? Yeah, when Chippewa fell. Up. Oh, Exactly right. All right. Well, that's the best I can do. It's early here. Nice one. Nice one. Uh, you get uh, to actually be one of the first to perform on our on the new stage up there. We've had, get out. Yeah, like the 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 temporary stage we've had. In fact, it's good. I, I it's good that you're coming ultimately this year because they've had uh, they've had the old grandstand for a long time, and they would bring in a temporary stage every year. This is what oftentimes happened. This year they thought, you know what, let's upgrade, and so they've been building a new grandstand and a new permanent stage. And so doing the math, you will be, I think, the third act uh, of, of the fair in fair history to perform there on Friday the fourteenth. There's no truth in the story than that Meatloaf caused that to happen by falling through the stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not, nothing going way deep down there. Nothing at all like that, no. But. Thank God. That's all I can say. I'm happy to become a... Listen, I, I think I play more... Let me think about I think the state of Florida and the state of Wisconsin, for someone... Uh, because I'm from Chicago, but uh, I, play there, I play in Wisconsin more than any place else, any other state in the country, I think. Really? Really? Except for the one time I was incarcerated in, in Buffalo, New York for six months. <laughs> That's a joke. Well, it would require a lot of performances to get out of there oftentimes. You better believe it. Johnny Cash has got nothing on me. <laughs> Your show here in Chippewa Falls, The Music of Sticks. If someone has not seen it, and there's plenty of ways to watch it online, obviously, and there's plenty of clips. There's, there's product. You watch the DVD, etc. But if someone has not gone to one of your shows over the past several years and on this particular tour, Describe it. What is someone going to see from Dennis D. Young in the music of Sticks? Well, if you you mean if people are totally unfamiliar with the band, if they're unfamiliar with this particular or this particular band, correct. Well, if you were a fan of um, either me or Sticks, and if you weren't, I don't know why you're coming unless you're bored. Um, I, I think that you're going to see a band that's going to uh, reproduce the sound and the spirit of that music as well as can be done anywhere in the world. I put this band together, um, I handpicked them. In fact, every band member is from a different state in the United States, including one from Alaska. Holy, holy salmon run! Yeah, I got uh, August Zadra, uh, does uh, Blue Collar Man, and uh, all, all the Tommy Shaw songs, and Renegade, and 
too much time on my hands and crystal ball and you name it. It does them all. Mm -hmm. And then I do the Dennis DeYoung songs because I'm well suited for it. <laughs> and then I have uh, Jimmy Leahy on guitar. He does. He actually does Miss America. It's really um, a band that reproduces that sound. Close your eyes and you may be listening to the records. Mm -hmm. That's what I've come up with because it appears there's a market for that stuff, which means the people who like sticks um, couldn't really get that by going to see the original band or me for many years because neither of us were playing the entire catalog. I chose about six, seven years ago to stop doing that and really perform all the songs people would like to hear because you know what? Can I tell you something? Mm -hmm. That's what people want to hear. I'm in the people business, for goodness sake. Without fans, what am I? I'm a guy in the basement with my accordion. That's it. <laughs> you, you, okay, which instruments all do you play? I'm just a keyboardist, really. I, I played drums at one point a long time ago, but I'm not really a drummer. Um, I, I play all the keyboards. Anything that has a keyboard on it, I can play. I'm kind of a tech person myself, kind of, and, and like in terms of the keyboard tech, what I mean is I'm fascinated by older synthesizers and such. So, I mean, the you watch the old Sticks clips, and they see the Oberheim, and there's the Fender Rhodes, and all of those up there. What was your favorite keyboard to play Throughout your, I mean, throughout your entire history of, of playing keyboards, I mean, going back, maybe pre-Sticks, Air Sticks era, post, etc., what's your favorite? If there's, like, one you could take back out on tour with you and not worry about it getting kind of bulky, what would you do? Would you I choose? think the one that makes me the most cash. <laughs> no. Um, I think my keyboard playing uh, has been associated with the Oberheim synthesizer in some ways. But if you were to ask me... My favorite instrument, instrument to play was always the Hammond B3. There's nothing like it. Uh, I haven't been able to play one for many years. In fact, I stopped playing Hammond B3 in 1983. But uh, prior to that, it's the greatest instrument for a keyboardist to play, I think, in a, in a rock band. And I had a particularly good-sounding one. Uh, I Now, Hammond, is just, for people who dig this kind of stuff, Hammond has just come out with a brand-new instrument. I just got it. I've used it for the last three or four gig, it's, gigs. It's an XK5. And more than any other... Uh, electronic keyboard that's been made, this one sounds um, as much like as a B3 as you can get. So I, I would say the B3. It's just, it's, it can compete with those guitar, those show-off guitar players. <laughs> what, other, uh, what other ways do you try to recreate the sound of sticks with the other members of the band? Does it get to the point of, let's find the same guitars, the same drums, the same processors? What, what's the extent to which you guys go? No, that's, um, that's all junk. That's technical stuff. You've got to get the right humans. Uh, there has been, a, you know, unfortunately, a move away from human beings toward technology um, as a technology has been invented. In other words, the ability to control sound um, through electronical means, you know, essentially things like Pro Tools, which can manipulate. Uh, you could take Peter Jennings or any newscaster, bless his heart, I know he's dead now, and, and take his words and, 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 and pitch control them so it sounds like he's singing. So the important thing is not the technology, it's the human beings. To me, uh, the greatest communication is the human voice. They've never made an instrument that surpasses it in any way. No instrument can do what the human voice uh, can do. In other words, when you hear certain people sing certain notes, you can get goosebumps. You know that feeling? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never gotten that from any instrument ever in my life. But when a human being sings, that's the greatest communication in, in, in terms of music. So what I did was, you know, we got to pick the right cats. Just that simple. Get the guys that, you know, August Edra uh, can do those Tommy Shaw songs, and he does them fantastic, and he, he, he does them great justice. And um, as for myself, I'm really good at imitating Dennis DeYoung. <laughs> and your voice has been holding up. Over all these years, I would I would classify you in the top, and, and I'm not just saying this. I've always thought this, just listening to music over the years. I've always thought you've had one of the better voices in pop rock music to hold your ability decades and decades on. And I and I I'm really curious to this as a singer myself. So tell me and tell us how do you keep your voice in good shape? What's your warm-up technique? What, what do you try to do? What do you avoid doing to keep your voice sounding at, at its current uh, caliber? As I told August, my, <clears throat> my singing guitar player, when he joined the band, he asked me these very same questions. 
And I, I said simply, uh, being a really good singer for a long time is really a life without. That's it. You have to uh, respect, I think, the gift that you've been given and treat it with, uh, with, with great respect in terms of not overdoing things, no smoking, stay away from booze and drugs, because it's these two little tiny pieces of meat that beat together in your throat uh, that make people uh, you know, kind of like you, come up to you and say, well, hey, I really like you. So respect it. Um, another thing I, 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 I've uh, suggested is thong underwear, three sizes too small, wet them, and then put them on. You can sing higher. And uh, as far as my, that's a joke. And as far as my, uh, you know, my kids growing up, I hired a, a very large Ukrainian woman to yell at them when, when they were bad so I could save my voice. Ah, whatever works, really. You're... Well, I've spent time. All the, real, all the real singers that do a lot of singing will tell you that there are times when you don't communicate during the day before a show by talking, uh, because talking can wear you out, and uh, you have to respect it. There are no easy answers for this. Uh, having good genes helps, but respecting the fact that you've been uh, given a gift is important. You've also been given the gift of writing. And uh, you, you talked a little bit on your Facebook page, and I'll, I'll get into this in just a moment, about this new project, the new writings you've done. How would you describe your evolution of songwriting over the decades? Well, when Sticks got its first uh, record contract in '72, I wasn't—I was not a songwriter. I was a, you know, I, I was a performer. Uh, we, we were a cover band, and it was my job to, uh, you know, basically put a lampshade on my head and entertain people. That's what I did for a living. But uh, I was forced to becoming a songwriter because, hey, we, we waved our arms really high up, and someone said, "You, you can make a record." So um, I wasn't a songwriter. I didn't really know much about it. But the first song I ever wrote and sang by myself a lead on a record was Lady, so it was a good start. But uh, because Lady was not a hit when it was first released, took two and a half, almost three years be before it became a hit, and uh, that, that, that song Lady was a failure when it first came out, I thought what I did naturally as a songwriter was uh, people didn't like. And so when you're young and you're naive <clears throat> and you're inexperienced, you, you, do, you don't know there's two things involved. It's called the music business for, for a reason. There's music, and then there's the way that they promote and sell music. And the, the thing that was missing from Lady and Sticks on that first, uh, that second album was there was no promotion. But I didn't understand that. So the next two albums I spent trying to be some other writer other than myself with no success. And then when Lady became a hit, accidentally, I said, oh, they like me, Sally Fields. They really like me. So... From that point on, I never looked back. I understood what I, I did instinctively and inherently in the beginning was what was going to be successful for me. Your writing, you talk about on, on your Facebook page for this new project. You said about 20 or so songs. Uh, you're working a little bit with Jim Peterick as well. And for those who don't know, Jim Peterick, of course, was with Survivors, with Vehicle, and has done a lot of other stuff as well throughout his career. Uh Describe for those of us who have, for anyone watching right now or listening who has not been to the Facebook page, describe what is this project looking like right now? When is there a timetable for release? Is there a certain idea for how this album might be uh, finally released? Well, here's what I, you know, I've had a, uh, I've had a, a record deal sitting in my uh, sitting on my desk for the last almost two years, and haven't signed it because um, my philosophy is is this. Of course I can make an album. Of course I can write songs. I know how to do it. It's just a craft. I understand how to do it. No album should, be ever, should ever be made unless you have good songs. Nothing else matters. Good songs are why people still come and see me. Uh, add to that, I, I'm still the guy that wrote them and sang, and that helps. But um, as many bands have proved, um, for instance, a band like Foreigner, there is a band I loved, at times none of the original mem members are even on stage when, when Mick Jones was sick. And um, so wh why would people go? They go because they love this music. They love those songs. Great songs are, are, are the reason to make an album. No other, no other reason. None. And I, I, I didn't want to um, in any way besmirch my reputation or my reputation in sticks by just making an album to be making it. So Jim and I got together at a show that, it, that we were both on um, in, in, uh, last December. And, and, and Jim said, let's try writing. And I said, um, is there any money in it for me, Jim? And he said, no. I said, okay, well, I'll do it. But Jim and I are neighbors. He really lives three blocks away from me. <laughs> That's the truth. So we got in a room, and uh, we're, we're both professional songwriters. And you never know how these things are going to work out. 
But guess what happened? Hmm. We were writing up. It went, went fast. It was easy. Um, and it's been enjoyable for both of us. So I think, I think, you never know, I think uh, what we're doing is worthy of people listening to. And um, so I'm, I'm very encouraged, and I think it's going to be um, – I think it's going to be worthy of guys like you going, hey, you know what? That didn't suck as much as I thought it did. <laughs> we'll be looking forward to it. And when it, when it comes out, if it, we'll, we'll definitely share it online and make sure people know about it for sure. So we'll, we'll keep our ears peeled for it. You... Yeah, and and, uh, and be careful when you do that. You know, it might affect your hearing, but go ahead. Yeah, you know, whatever works. <laughs> We're... I hate peeling my ears. <laughs> You've had also solo writing over the years. What would you say is your favorite solo song? That you've uh, written or and or recorded. You mean in pop and rock in, in the rock vein? Yeah, let's yeah let's let's keep it in. in I think. Um, <clears throat> hmm. Good question. Hmm. Hmm. He said, uh, "I like off my very last album. There's a song called Crossing the Rubicon, which I especially enjoy listening to. I think it's it's it, it's it's a song that if you like that that kind of what I call the full proggy thing about sticks." Uh, check that one out. It's on 100 Years From Now, my very favorite uh, solo album. Uh, Desert Moon. I don't think you can beat that. It, you know, like I said, uh, people like it. And um, it's a, an especially good video if you're into that sort of thing. You can see it on, obviously, YouTube. But I think those two, uh, there's a lot of songs I like, but I think they stand out. Just out of curiosity, as long as you mention it, what was the? Uh, I've seen parts of the video. Uh, what? Um, how did that come to- together? I'm going way back to 1984 on this one, but uh, how did how did that come about? Well, in those days, um, what actually happened was uh, Tommy Shaw quit Sticks in '83 and um, and, and kind of left us to stand in there. And I, uh, <clears throat> I, I rather than try to replace him, I thought I'd give him an opportunity to make the solo album he so desperately wanted to make. And I just decided to make a solo album, and then I had to make a video because that's what people did in 1984. And um, th- this guy, uh, uh, Jack Cole, who had done a, a video, I saw his video, um, he, he's a director, and I picked him because I liked the video he had done. And um, we became fast friends, and we made three videos together. And, uh, and Desert Moon is especially... Uh, especially good. It's just dumb, stupid luck time. It's luck sometimes. You know, when the universe has got to spin your way once in a while. You know, you can try as as much as you like and have talent and work hard. But you know, in that time, the universe spun my way. And this guy named I think his name gee, I think it was his last name is Miller. I don't want to say Jim, but I can't remember. He kind of wrote the storyboard for it, and it was brilliant. And we went out there and we just did it. I didn't know anything about making videos. Nothing. I, Sticks never really made a, 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 a real formal dedicated video, but, uh, because remember, uh, in the last thing we were, uh, the band was together on was the Kilroy Show, which was recorded and done in '82, and MTV wasn't even was nothing, so we didn't even know about doing videos. So the first chance that I got to make a video was in 1984, and it was a good one. Desert Moon was good, but you know it was my song. But I, I got to give an awful lot of credit to the guys who. Um, decided where the camera went and what it was going to be about. Hmm. We'll uh, share that video on uh, our Facebook page so people can uh, watch it or watch it again and remember it from uh, from seeing it over the years. Going back to your current tours, we get close to the end of, of our chat here. Uh, before you get to Chippewa Falls, you're going to be in Illinois doing the 40th anniversary of the Grand Illusion on July 7th. How are you going to make this a special show for that concert? Well, we're, we're going to be giving away free cake and balloons. No, we're um, we're just going to play the doggone show. We're going to play the album. Never did it before, um, and say, hey, this is the thing. This was the album, more than any other, which I think is the quintessential Sticks album, and it's the one that really made us into um, a, a worldwide headlining uh, band. That was it, and it was forty years ago to the day on seven seven seventy seven. We're going to do it on seven seven seventeen, which I think is it doesn't suck. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'll be around to do it on the 50th, so let's do it now, baby. Do the 40th, exactly. Well, uh, is there going to be any, uh, for anyone who's unable to get to the show, is there going to be anything online or any record of it, uh, DVD, CD, or anything of the sort? There's been, a, you know, since I announced it, there's been an awful lot of interest in me doing something like that. But really, right now, the first thing I want to do is get this show under my belt and do it. Because, you know, look, kids, let me just tell you the truth. I'm going to hit you to the realities of the music business. Um... 
And it's interesting because they just read an article. Did you know that guitar sales are way down for all manufacturers and not. guitar centers in deep trouble? And that I just read it today. And you know what that is? I'm telling you, kids, let me tell you what it is. People aren't going to get in the music business the way they used to. It's not going to happen because the process by which you go through of making records and uh, making videos, DVDs, there's a cost factor. And when you, you invest all this money in that, um, you expect at least a return on your money. You don't have to become, you know, Bill Gates, but you want to you wanna make your money back uh, upon the investment. Um, that doesn't exist anymore hardly for anybody except for people like, oh, I don't know, you look at Beyonce or Taylor Swift or the people who are really at the very zenith of the pop music industry, but with rock bands and people like myself, particularly of a certain age, this is, a, this is really a no-win proposition. And you can't blame people. I don't blame them. When you can get something for free, if you pay for it, you almost feel like some sort of a stoop, don't you? Mm -hmm. So in order to, to invest in this stuff, uh, you've got to believe that you can at least break even. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. tough. And that's what stopped a lot of bands and a lot of people from continuing to making records and doing DVDs. They do them so um, sparingly when they used to come out every once, every two years it was something. It becomes very difficult to do that. So this is the realities we all face. This isn't the Dennis D. Young situation. You can hear Joe Walsh, who just saw him on, uh, on TV talking about All of us, we all face the same thing, including Paul McCartney. But, of course, guys like Paul, uh, they, can, uh, they can subsidize anything they want. But still, who plays Paul McCartney or Rolling Stones or any of the giants, Elton John, name them. The people who sell out stadiums can't get airplay. Can it's they? Become a much more touring-based as opposed to a radio -based. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up with less music and less good music. It's a fact. So I'm happy that I have that great catalog that people can still go to. Because you know what, partner? I lived at the greatest time in the history of mankind to be a musician. Never before and never after will so many guys like me and girls have the opportunities we had to have long, successful, and fruitful careers. I was lucky by birth. Mm -hmm. I'm up to Chippewa Falls, but be careful. When Chippewa Falls, people get injured. <laughs> I think I phrased the joke better that time. Yeah, you, you know, you got you got a few weeks to, to, to fine-tune a little bit and get it on stage. It'll work. I'm doing my best. You know what? It, you, I was hoping to play Frostbite Falls the next night. Dennis DeYoung and the music of Sticks uh, coming up to Chippewa Falls, the concert presented with XL Energy and Greatest Hits 98.1, July 14th. I'll be there. I am very much looking forward to uh, getting you guys going on uh, the show that night. Uh, and uh, welcome to Wisconsin. Enjoy the rest of the tour. We'll, uh, we'll chat with you and talk to you later. Thank you, my friend, for being prepared. Well, that was my June 2017 interview with Dennis DeYoung before his performance at the Northern Wisconsin State Fair and did a great job. Now, in that interview, he was talking about the songs he was working on with Jim Peterick, which ultimately evolved into 26 East Volume 1. There's also going to be a Volume 2. That album was released on May 22nd of 2020, and so I got a chance to talk with Dennis DeYoung again, this time about that new album, and here's that interview from May of 2020 about 26 East Volume 1. New album just released. First new album of new studio album, and it's quite some time, and it's called 26 East Volume 1 came out uh, this past Friday, May 22nd. It's it's a good album. And I, as I'm listening through this and then reading some of the interviews you've you've done, you ta I, I know you've talked about getting kind of convinced back into doing this new music about and wondering, you know, would it ever get played on the radio? I could tell you as I'm listening to this, I'm like, thank gosh. There's new Dennis DeYoung music. I, seriously, I'm, I'm going, it's about time. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate hearing that, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that are thinking that. Have you gotten that feedback from other fans? are going, good, We're, even, even though they want to hear the Styx classics and the Dennis DeYoung solo songs and whatnot, that they're act, they are appreciative that you came up with new recordings for them? First of all, you said it was a good album. Try harder. Okay, an excellent album. Okay. Uh, and all these fans, I need their names and addresses to make sure they pay up. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, the music business is, for the most part, for rock and roll musicians, particularly guys my age, 
mistakes who shouldn't even be making uh, um, records anymore. Yeah, I was reluctant to make another album. The, the radio situation in, in, in America is, is, is almost nothing for new rock and roll music. There just isn't a format. In the old days, and I hate to say that because right away you sound, well, like you're old, which I am, the radio was everything, not only to um, musicians, but it was everything to the listener. They went there as a reference point to hear music that they cherished and loved and liked. And now a lot of it's been turned over <clears throat> to the individual so they can fend for themselves when it comes to rock and roll music and try to find it in the, gigant in the gigantic morass that is the Internet. So without an editor, <clears throat> as radio stations used to be, it's, um, it's, it seems like a, uh, a fruitless task to make new music for people because there is no way for them to really hear it. And an audience like mine is an older audience, so they're not, you know, they're not in high school waiting for the, the next, their friends to tell them what the, the, new, the new cool thing is to listen to. And they've moved on with their lives, and now, of course, with everything that's going on, it becomes more and more challenging to reach people. So I got talked into making the album. Jim Peterick, my friend, talked me. We worked on a bunch of songs together. Some are on this record. Some will be on volume two. To answer your question a little shorter is, uh, people have responded very, very positively to the record. I mean, overwhelmingly, really. I mean, my my album was number five on Amazon, I think, day before yesterday. So that means something went right, and I'm shocked by it. Nonetheless, as I've said many times, I owe it all to the people who uh, who are willing to shell out money to hear to hear me open my big blabbing mouth. <laughs> You said in some of your interviews, uh, talking about the album, when people, you were asked, is this a concept album? And you said the concept is don't suck. So what point, as you're coming up with these songs, working with Jim, working with others, etc., did you feel the project was good enough that it, in your view, didn't suck and was good enough to release to the world? Well, when I took money from the record company, I, I, I refused to take any money in advance to do it until I was certain that there were um, enough songs. Because for me, if the songs aren't great, there's no point to it. A lot of people can make a record that sounds like a record that maybe somebody would like. In other words, if you have a cement mixer voice and guys playing really fast and loud on guitars, you might, you know, you might please some death metal fans or you know, you know what I'm saying. If you have acoustic guitars, that might. But I don't. I'm not in the. I'm not interested in making music that sounds like music somebody would like. I'm interested in writing great songs because that's what's going to last when it's all said and done. People still come to see me because they want to hear those songs and they want to hear me sing them. Songwriting is everything. Uh, history has proved it. So when I figured out I had enough songs that they didn't suck, I took the money. And, uh, and and from the record company for the money. But prior to that, I had no interest uh, in doing so. Um, the last album I made 100 years from now was about 13 years ago, so they tell me, or 12 or whatever the heck it was. Uh, that, I thought that was a pretty doggone good album. I didn't really have a record company, so to speak, to make any uh, inroads to the, to the audience. And so I thought, okay, I, I, you know, I've said all I needed to say, and there you go. You, um, excuse me, I chatted with Jim Peterick back in March, actually, when he... Oh, he's a big, fat liar. Don't listen to anything. <laughs> what did I do with those with those 10 minutes? Oh, my gosh. Um, it, when he released in Empty Arena at the time, and we, oh, knew, yeah. we knew 26 East Volume 1 was coming, and then, of course, all the postponements, et cetera, et cetera, but I figured, okay, I got, Jim, I got you on the phone. I'm going to ask you about working with... Dennis DeYoung, because I knew that that of the involvement, as you mentioned a little earlier, and one of the things he brought up when I asked about this album was the lyrical evolution of Run for the Roses and how one of his observances or observations working with you is how you want to get everything just right and get it to that to that level, kind of what we were just talking about. So uh, how would you describe your overall approach in the studio especially with this album, to writing and arranging and recording to get that right sound and working with Jim? Well, it's easy. You have to strive for perfection. Otherwise, why are you doing this? Nobody ever reaches perfection. Maybe sometimes in the listener's mind, but certainly not in the person who's making the music. So 
Jim works from a little bit different point of view. He's a professional songwriter. He writes all the time, constantly. He lives to write. I do not. If there's a goal or a reason to write, I do. And without one, I don't really care. Um, maybe I'm lazy. But I've, I've written a lot of songs, a couple hundred. And, you know, it's not like I need practice in how to write a song. And the only reason you write songs is to have a chance, chance to communicate with people. So Jim is all, I had to slow Jim down. That's all. I said, Jim, take your time. You know what I mean? Make this right. This is for history. And that's how we, we, we came to work together on that. Because he is, he's a fireball of energy to keep doing the next thing. That's how he's, that's how he's geared. And even when I was uh, in sticks, uh, I know guys that just work that way. They want to get on to the next thing where I'm always a pain in the ass saying, stay on this thing until it's as close to perfect as you can get. But Jim and I, we, you know, we, we, we finished Roses uh, when he brought it in. And then we, we wrote like eight more songs without any effort. So the collaboration was great. What artistically does he bring in terms of his particular style and, and musical style? What is like, how does he what, how does he arrange songs? What kind of chord progressions does he bring in kind of to balance your musical take and lyrical take on songs? I think my uh, focus on this album was no matter what Jim did, what we ever did together, was it had to sound like me. couldn't sound like Survivor or, you know, you know couldn't sound like him. Mm-hmm. It had to sound like me or me and Sticks. And that, that, I know that mission has been accomplished 100%. So I think that um, since I was, dare I say, responsible for a lot of the arranging, not all of it, certainly, we all worked together in Sticks, I was, um, I was focused on uh, making an album that would please uh, not only my fans, but Sticks fans. And there's just incredible crossover between the two as well there should be. Could you describe any of the songs as... I, how do how do I phrase this as being more particular to a certain type of a sticks sound? Because obviously sticks had a wide variety of there was there was an identifiable sticks sound, but there are several. If that makes any sense, at least that's my take as a listener. You can tell what a sticks song sounds like, but that's not always the same type of sound. Can you say that there are any particular types of songs? Obviously, AD twenty twenty has got the the best of times. But the other ones, can you say, okay, this was more aimed towards this particular kind of approach. This song was towards this particular type of sticks approach. No, I think what I did was um, a lot of the, the 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 things, the tricks that we did in sticks were um, three part harmony hooks. A lot of those. So when you sit down to write a song, you write it with that idea in mind that this chorus is going to have that. But it's the instrumentation, it's the thought process, it's the natural thing that I do when I'm not trying not to be in sticks. I mean, some of my solo albums, probably most of them, were an attempt not to sound like sticks because I thought that was uh, sacrosanct to the band. I, I mean, I could have went in at any time and you know, taking the blueprint that I was involved in making and, 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 and done it that, in that manner. But that, that isn't what I was um, interested in doing. I'm interested in serving the song. Whatever the guitar player plays or the keyboard player, we all serve the song. Uh, you can't have somebody going off on a tangent uh, musically just because they can do something. What you need to do is serve the song. For instance, with to the good old days, the Julian Lennon duet, the guitar solo, I specifically told uh, Mike Aquino, the guy who played the solo, I says, this ain't no heroics. I don't need no guitar hero here. I want you to listen to the languid kind of unfolding nature of what this song is and play a guitar solo that's appropriate for the song. And that's what he did. He played a brilliant solo. Mm-hmm. I know there are some people who, some listeners... If it isn't, in, if it doesn't sound like something they like, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I want, I, I, I just wanted to sound this way. It has to, it has, for one, it has to rock. It has to just, uh, you know, I'm not interested in you or that. I'm only interested in serving the song. For instance, with all due respect, yeah, testosterone, testosterone turned up loud, okay, and fiery and angry, but 
on other songs, you have to you have to match the instrumentation and the arrangement toward what your ultimate goal is. This is about the whole, not the sum of its parts. On that point, on the instrumentation, I was curious as I'm as I'm listening to these songs, who all was playing the instruments on these songs. Did you play any of the instruments? It was a Jim, and you mentioned the guitarist earlier. Who, who who's got the credits on the on the on the playing? Did somebody send you an album yet or a CD? I have I've not gotten a physical copy, unfortunately. I, I listened on the stream, but I've not listened to the physical copy. Okay. Or I've not gotten um, a physical copy. I'd say my, my my drummer Mike Morales played all the drums that are played by a human being, except for to the good old days. My son Matt played the drums. Bass Jim did some bass. Uh, my bass player Craig Carter did some. August Adler played some guitar. Jimmy Leahy. These are the guys in my band. Mm-hmm. Mike Aquino because he's close. Uh, he's like twenty minutes from my house. I brought him in, and he played a lot of guitar work. And, and Jim played guitars as well. I play all the keyboards except the piano backing on Run From the Roses because Jim brought the demo in and laid the piano track down. And I said, and he said, why don't you put it in your style? Well, I tried to put it in my style, but I thought it was too busy mm-hmm. for the kind of song it was. And so I just left Jim's uh, uh, piano uh, basic track on there and built around it. I was actually, I'm glad to hear that you played the keyboards on that because I'm hearing the synthesizer solos and going, I, I hope that's him playing that. I can totally picture him. I hope he's playing that. That's good to hear. And when you did that uh, performance on WGN uh, doing your version of, or it was you doing To the Good Old Days, played along to the track, and I saw in the background, saw that Oberheim synth, and I'm going, Wait, is that the one they were playing some 35, 40 years ago? Is that the is that the same one from back then? And did you play that on this album? Yes, but that one, that's an OBX-8. Um, a lot of the original stuff was on a Oberheim 4 voice. Yes. but And I have them, <clears throat> but they, they're temperamental. The OBX, I had to have my, I have two OBXs, OBX-8, um, in the house, they both had to be repaired. They're old. That's forty-year technology. So yes, that 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 was the synthesizer that I used uh, throughout the album. Cool, very cool. Good, good. I love how analog technology will still come back. Like older equipment still comes in, and it sounds perfectly good today with with the current techniques. I mean, I, I if you told me that was a, a software synthesizer or something like that, I would probably have believed it. That's I'm really impressed that it sounds that good on the album. It sounds perfect. Well, the the board I recorded everything on is the Euphonics 2000, which is an analog board digitally controlled, very unique. I had to have it repaired three or four times during the process, but once again, very old technology. And the... And, and the um, this is not a Pro Tools album. Mm-hmm. I don't like Pro Tools, except for what it can do in terms of um, cutting and pasting, that kind of a thing. But for the most part, I, I, you know, I had people in rooms just playing and you know, stick a microphone in front of, front of them, which is the old way, and say, okay, it, we're not going to auto-tune you or time it. Play it right. That's why you're here. That's why you practice in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. I need a musician that performs. It sounds also in in terms of how the the the, the subtle things that I'm that I'm sure any listener they can't quite put their finger on it. And the more you listen to this album, the more I come away going, this doesn't sound compressed. Doesn't as you said, auto tuned. It sounds like a natural album, but at the same time, it sounds like well mixed. But did you make a point to not do the modern thing of compress the heck out of everything and make it sound all big and loud? That's what everyone does nowadays. They've been doing it for years. It's this album breathes. Was that intentional to do that? Everything these days is on a quest to see what can sound the loudest. But if you listen to the overcompression of the modern digital age, you'll know that <clears throat> if if the soft parts and the loud parts sound the same volume, well, that's wrong. <laughs> What's the point of this? If the soft is as loud as the loud, there's no dynamics. So I am very judicious in the way I use compression. It's very valuable to use it. But if it becomes um, just a wall 
of sound where, you know, it, it, I just don't, it sounds unnatural to me and annoying for the people who love hard rock and you listen to the Led Zeppelin recordings that Jimmy Page was involved in. It's powerful stuff, but you really, you got to turn it up a little more. If you want, it's simple. If you want it louder, because every, every um, album, every song you get will be a little different in volume. So if, if you think, if you listen to something that's not quite loud enough, they have, I believe they have a control uh, called the volume control. You just turn it up. <laughs> so for me, I wasn't in the contest to see what sounded the loudest, but I was trying to make it sound the best, the most like music. And uh, that, I think I accomplished that. So if you, you know, if you, if you feel like the last thing you played was overly compressed and, and it just jumped out of your speakers, and then you put mine on, <clears throat> it doesn't sound as loud, turn it up. It will sound it will sound loud, only I think it will be more dynamic. Right. And you, I can, I can hear that, and in, in, even in your, in your voice, it, it sounds like okay. He's back from the mic. He's pushing up to the microphone. You, it, you can almost, at least I can imagine you guys in the studio, as you're recording it, because you can kind of tell, okay, they're in this position. It's, it's, it's subtle stuff, but it comes across. I'm trying to think of exactly which song, but I heard that in, in your vocal work, and was like, okay, I can kind of tell where he's moving with the microphone. That, that comes across in the recordings throughout this album. Well. Thank you. Yeah, it worked. Mission accomplished. Well, speaking of the best, after all this time you've been able to kind of live with these songs, do you have any that seem to be favorites? And or have you noticed fans saying they have any favorites? Yeah, it's only, a, it's not even, when did they come out? This past Friday? It's only been what? what? Yeah, it's only been, you know, it's not been a week yet. Yeah. I've gotten some early input. A lot of people are still waiting for their pre-ordered CDs to get here. Mm-hmm. I think there might be an, a pandemic on or something. I've read about it in the papers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the early, I, you know, people, um, I think to the good old days, and with all due respect, are at the top of that list right now. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be more different. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got sprinklings of Kingdom of Blaze, East of Midnight, they seem, you know, and if you had it back in there, well, you know, the rest of them are all, I think it's too early. People, and for one thing, this is a, this is an album that I made as a listening experience, not a, not a series of singles. Uh, but when I, I wanted you to do it like the good old days, oh, did I say that? That where you put the needle on track one, you, you wanted, you wanted to play it through to the end because it was a listening experience. And because of that, uh, I wasn't interested in trying to jump onto the radio with the quickest hook I could or whatever you do where you're trying to convince a radio programmer to play your music. And they, they, they're fidgety, those people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're nervous. Absolutely. They're always afraid someone's going to tune out because their job's at stake. But I, I did this where the more you listen, listen to this album, I hope the more you're going to like it. Because it's, it has depth um, in the lyrics and in the arranging. The transition from, on that point, the arranging of it, You My Love and To Run For The Roses, and they're both in the key of A flat. At least that's that, from the end of one to the other. And what, Well, that's a nice tr- transition. And that's the sort of thing you don't get but if, if it's 10 singles or 10 individual tracks all thrown on an album. I, I I don't know if that was an intentional transition from that song to the other, but that stood out to me right when I go from track four to track five and go, okay, same key, bit of a different feel here. This is good. Was was Just out of curiosity, was that an intentional transition on that? No. Really? Um, the fact that you pointed out to me the key signature similarities it never dawned on me. Huh. What I do, it's like... When you're making an album, and not just front-loading it, kids' front-loading means you put your three best songs on side one. And because the rest of the stuff is crap and you don't care if people listen to it or not, I try to think of it as a listening experience, not as an attempt to catch your um, attention. Although that's important, I thought, okay, what am I saying here? And so I tried to put the songs that seemed to take the listener on a journey. 
Now, whether or not that's evident or not to the to the to the, uh, to the listener is of no concern to me. I'm doing. Remember, I do this stuff for myself, and hope other people like it. Um, so when I listen to it, I know what I want it to sound like. And the placement of songs on a listening experience, listening experience album, are very important. What song follows? Uh, what song? Uh, a great deal of thought went in. And I've moved these songs around a bunch of times, and until I, I arrive where it is. And when I listen to it, I go, "Yeah, that's that doesn't suck." <laughs> Talking about albums that have a particular sequence and are known for their sequence, Abbey Road comes to mind when I when I hear the song "The Best of Times," and that ties right back to to the good old days. There's the Beatles connection to that, and you've been talking about that with Julian Lennon and kind of writing a, a Beatlesque song. But the reason I bring this up for "The Best of Times" and over the past few days as I've been thinking about putting coming up with the questions for this and and listening to the new album whenever i hear the best of times and kind of the transition between the first verse one verse two and then the transition into verse three my mind always does a mashup to you never give me your money and i again i don't know if that was intentional but there's a similarity between those two songs at least in in my mind was that going back, you know, forty odd years? Was that intentional? And have other artists ever directly influenced a riff or a chord progression in your writing? Well, of course, we steal from each other. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, regarding the Beatles, I just did a um, podcast, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. Mm -hmm. If you like me, and I know you do, partner, go <laughs> listen to it. It's hysterically funny. I make the point in there when talking about the Beatles is. Uh, the similarity between us ends after we realize all all, all members had penises. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I've been trying to write um, Abbey Road for years, and you know, failing. But you know, when you have that standard, if you fail, you still might be pretty good. Mm -hmm. But it's conceptually, thematically, like on Paradise Theater, you know. Best of time. If you think about it, the beginning of one, the begin and the end of the album, and the and the end of of one, are all, uh, you know, the same, the same song. Right. Just using it in different ways. So it's a way to tie things together. The beginning, twenty eight. The end, fifty eight. And the best of times, end of one. Yeah. These are these this 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 thought press process is not random. Has the pandemic spurred any new? Writings. This well, all that we've been going through for the past couple months or so. Yes, I've written down a bunch of things that I'm not going to do, hmm. like not go outside without a mask on. Number one. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I'm not really writing music right now. Uh, I have a couple songs to finish for volume two, but I've been just. I've not stopped because you know this best of times thing I did on YouTube, which has a, over a million views which is remarkable and impossible because I don't get a million views. It's been up for about a month. Uh, it, it made me kind of, um, how shall I say this, popular. And so <laughs> I have never, I've not stopped for the last four, five, six weeks from doing interviews. I got one after you. I mean, every day the people want to Zoom and talk to me. And that's all very, that's, that's why I did this, so people would pay attention. And right now I'm, I'm working on the video, too, with all due respect which is one of my absolute favorites on the album. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I also look forward to you being back on tour. Remember, you were, last time I chatted with you was when you were up at uh, the Northern Wisconsin State Fair in Chippewa Falls back in the summer of 2017. So at some point, we'll want to see you on the road. And as you said, your tour manager right now is the CDC. But when you do go back on the road, what, what do you think we would hear? You still got to work on, figure that all out whenever the time is right. I'm hoping I won't have to sing through a mask, that's for sure. Um, we had worked out East of Midnight, which is track one, side one, and with all due respect, we were playing those in St. Louis at a sound check. We had a couple shows that were playing there, down, down there, and um sounded great. And then, boom, you know what I mean? The little, the, the, the COVID cootie. <laughs> Ruined everything for everybody. So 
regarding touring, we'll all know when it happens because the first thing that has to happen is musicians must be willing, but more importantly, audiences must be willing to show up. And the, the jury's all out on that. Hmm. And we wait. But in the meantime, we got the album. And I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to go buy it. 26 East, Volume 1. There will be a Volume 2 at some point. We're looking forward to that. Thank you for doing the new music. Dennis DeYoung chatting with us today. We'll look forward to seeing you back on the road. Thanks again. Stay safe. And we'll, we'll hear more from you down the road. Take care. Thank you, my friend. Kids, go to YouTube and look at that video to the duet with me and Julian Lennon called To the Good Old Days. It'll warm your heart in these crazy-ass times. Dennis D. Young there. Good interview with him, getting really deep into the new album, 26 East, Volume 1. It, it, and there's a lot of great musicianship there. I was glad to to really deep dive into this into this process. And again, there's going to be a volume two at some point, too. So there's more new music to come. If you want to learn more about what he's up to, DennisDeYoung.com is his website. He's on social media, of course. Uh, you'll find him on Facebook. And as he mentioned right at the end, you can go on YouTube, watch the video for To the Good Old Days, which was fairly recently posted as of when we're when I'm taping this interview, which is on uh, May 28th. Of course, he's got another music video to come that he said he's working on for, um, for with all due respect. And of course, you gotta see his version of the best of times that, as he said, kind of went viral on YouTube that he did from home. Check that out as well. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. Thanks as always to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin for providing the facilities to do this interview and other interviews. And you can listen to this interview at the Greatest Hits 98.1 website, greatesthits981.com. Click on interviews. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you can follow it on via uh, Android, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and rate this one higher as well because that will help spread the word about it, this podcast. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.